Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, let's start with a let's start with a question. Um, I do one of the things that I, I do as part of my job is is editing, and so um, with with that in mind, uh, we're in Parshas Truma, and it begins with it begins with uh, an interesting sequence where Hashem says, "Bring to me gold and silver and copper and and." Purple linen and and red linen, all these all these materials, and then uh, Hashem goes on to say, and with these things, uh, build me a sanctuary. So so, and I'll dwell within you. That's that's the that's the order. Um, you you could ask the following questions: Why not say, uh, God says? In other words, instead of listing the 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 items that are necessary first. And then what they're for, why not reverse it? Why doesn't God just begin by saying, I want to build a sanctuary. Build a sanctuary for me. Here's what we need. Here are the materials. We're going to need some gold. We're going to need some silver. And then list the things. Why is it in, in, in the order that it's in? Seems more direct. Let's, let's tell you why we need what we need. And then, and then we'll gather up the, the materials. By the way, just and we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that question in the air and we'll we'll return to it at the end, Godwa. Okay. Uh, just as a an interesting bit of practical life advice, Pirkei Avo says something sort of on a related topic, slightly different. But if someone asks you two questions, answer them in the order that they were asked. So if I say to you, um, "Where are you from and how old are you?" You should say New York in '56. You you answer the questions in the order they were asked. Just a a side thing. File it away. Could come in handy. <laughs> um, okay. Now let's uh, let's go back and ask some uh, larger questions because Parshas Truma in Sefer Shmos in the Book of Exodus is a big turning point in 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 the Torah and. Uh, I'll tell you why. Because up until now, the Torah has been very narratively based. In other words, a story is being told. Like the most amazing stories in the world, ever, right? Um, You have the creation of the universe out of nothingness. Something out of nothing. By the way, one of my favorite favorite teachings is that, uh, and I'll tell you a conversation I had with my son about this in a moment, which is, there are 39 categories of labor that you're not supposed to do on Shabbos. 39 forms of work. The, the, the Lamites Malachos. Okay? Um, and where, does, where do those 39 categories of labor come from? Because we use these 39 different activities to build the Mishkan, which we're going to be talking about right now, the tabernacle in the desert, which is the prototype of the Beis HaMikdash, the, the, the holy temple in Jerusalem, right? And we're waiting for the third Beis HaMikdash. That's the signal of the, of, the, of the redemption of the entire world, where the third Beis HaMikdash is built. Um, so just, just in case you're listening, we're going to be using these terms interchangeably. So just so you know, there's Mishkan, Tabernacle, Beis HaMikdash. Basically, conceptually speaking, it's all the same thing. Okay, it's this idea of this focal point, a headquarters for God's presence in this world. Okay, so, so don't, please don't think 
God is a limited being who needs a house or who can fit in a house. That, that would be just not understanding what the Torah is saying at all. But nonetheless, it's this sort of this lightning rod, if you will. It's this headquarters, this single point where the Shefa, the divine flow, comes down and then goes out to the rest of the world. Okay. And by the way, without getting too many thoughts together right now, you should know that the, this Mishkan that we're talking about, this tabernacle, was constructed in a very amazing way because it was simultaneously a miniature, a microcosm of the entire world and, and of a human being as well. So, and that overlap, understanding how it could be simultaneously a miniature of, of the world and also a miniature of a human being, how, how does that work? So, so I always like to share this uh, this kind of parable that I, that I read one time, um, which answers this question so beautifully. But it, it, I'm, I'm relating it to this. It was just this secular thing that I it was like in a Reader's Digest or something like that. So it goes like this. Um, a, a father comes home from work. He's absolutely exhausted. He just, uh, he's, he just, he just needs some rest. So he goes to his chair <clears throat> and he starts reading the newspaper just to relax. And his young child is so excited, his father's home, he wants to play with his dad. He comes and, and the father has no energy. So the father thinks of something like a, a way where the child can be amused, but he can still get his rest. So what does he do? There's a picture in the newspaper, a sort of an intricate map of the globe, of the world. So he takes it and he makes a jigsaw puzzle out of it. He rips it into like, you know, 50 different pieces and he tells his, his, his little kid, he goes, look, when you put these together, then we'll play. So, sounds like a good plan. Like, you know, the kid will be entertained. The father gets some more rest. Very good. A moment later, the kid comes back. He says, I did it. <laughs> he goes, ah, it's, it's impossible. He, he takes a look. He's put together this elaborate map of the entire world. He says, how did you do it? The kid says it was very easy. There was a picture of a person on the other side. And when I put the person together, the whole world fell into place. You see, it's a big Torah teaching in this. Because every single person, it says in the Talmud, if you save one life, it's like you save the whole world. Every single person is a, is a miniature, a microcosm of, of all the worlds. Right? That's why if you do just one small thing in your room by yourself, there's like a tzedakah box, like a charity box. You put in one coin, you're all by yourself. You affect the entire world. The entire world is affected. So, so we're using all of these terms inter, interchangeably. Um, Mishkan, Besa Migdash, right? And, and, and the truth is, is that it's not just that there's a convenient sort of... Um, you know, a uh, conceptual parallel that simultaneously the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which is a miniature of the world, is also a miniature of a person who is a miniature of the world. It, it's, it's not just that, even though that works phenomenally well. It's not just that. It's that each of us individually was supposed to be the Mishkan. We ourselves were supposed to be the tabernacle. You know, do, you know in, sometimes we hear in... in 
different in secular thought. You'll, you'll, you'll hear the body is the temple of, of the soul, right? Sometimes people use that idea. But there's a Torah basis to this idea. that we And, and I'll tell you where you see this. I'll tell you where you see this in the Torah. Because we know that there's a kind of a basic rule from the, from the Gomorrah that any time a verse from the Torah, a Pasuk, begins with the word Vayahi, that means something sad is happening, something negative is about to happen. Vayahi could be translated as, and, and it was, or it will be, or whatever it is. So, so it's kind of just an introductory word, but it, but it signals something negative. On the other side, by the way, Vahaya, if you have Vahaya at the beginning of a word, that means something good is happening. Okay, so anyway, it says, the Medrash says, that when God finished, that when we finished building the, the, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, that God rejoiced like when he finished creating the entire world. So now you understand why, right? Because it was a, like a miniature of the world. Makes sense, right? So if that's the case, and this is in Parshas Shmini, why is it that... that Parsha Shmini begins, which is talking about the completion of the Mishkan. Why would it be that it would begin with the word Vayahi? We just said that's a sad word. And we just said that the Medrash says that was one of the happiest occasions in history. Hear the question. So listen to what the Rishna Rebbe says. Rishna Rebbe says, you know why it begins with Vayahi? Because it wasn't supposed to be a building. It was supposed to be us. Right? And by the way, this Forno says that it's in the end of days when we get to the Zmana Tikkun, where everything, you know, where the world finishes evolving. And, you know, I, I use that word very consciously, evolving, because you should know that Torah be- believes in evolution more than Darwin believes in evolution. You know, and what I mean by that, what I mean by that, is that we understand that the world is in a dynamic state moving toward perfection. That's, that's the whole concept. We use a shorthand for that, which is Mashiach. But people don't necessarily like fully understand what that concept is. Sometimes people, they, they talk about Mashiach, and they're focused on a person. Okay, so look, you look in the, you know, the... The laws the Rambam brings down of who is Mashiach and who isn't Mashiach. You know, we're very clear about, you know, who we say Mashiach is. But nonetheless, the bigger picture is the era that's going to be brought into humanity and the world. Right? That will be, it will come through a holy Jew. That, that, that much we know. But, but that's kind of, I don't want to say besides the point. I don't want to dishonor the concept of Mashiach. But it's not the real headline. The real headline is the next era of civilization of the world, which is going to take place, which was factored into creation from the very, very beginning. Okay? So that's, that's, that's important to know. So anyway, in the, when this period comes, the human being will have evolved to its spiritual majesty to where we will, you know, you won't need that vayihi anymore where we will all be sort of focal points for the Shekhinah to come down to, right? And there's a halachic ramification to that too, that you will begin to be able to bring, you, you have something in, um, there's something called Abama Katana and Abama Gedola. So Abama Katana was a private altar, 
right? Where you could offer, like, for instance, let's say you had a very happy occasion, like you just had a birth in the family or some great news, whatever it is, and you wanted to bring a Thanksgiving offering, right? A Corbin Toda. By the way, you want to hear something interesting? Corbin Todas will never end. The ability to give thanks, like when the third base of Migdash comes, the Corbin Toda is a category of offerings that never ends. Because that's just an aspect of the infinity of God that will never be able to stop thanking God ever. Right? Because his, even as the world evolves, what will happen is his goodness will become ever more recognizable and so will be ever more in thank you mode. So, so the Corbin Toda, the, the, the thanksgiving offering, as it's translated in, in, in English, will never go away. So listen to this. Once a base on Migdash was built, once we had the central point in, in Yerushalayim, Bama Katanas, private altars, were outlawed. You had to go to the central place to bring it. But once the human being um, re, or realizes his status, her status, as a legitimate Mishkan, Bama Katanas will return. Well, you'll be able to go out into your backyard and to offer up this Thanksgiving offering to God right in your backyard. Isn't that an amazing thing? Because you yourself will have the status of a Mishkan. But this is already, we're talking about end of days now. But this is the destiny of, of, of humanity. This is where we're going. Okay. So I want to return back to our initial question, which is, I'm telling you that when we're talking about the building of the Mishkan, and the first Parsha that begins with the building of the Mishkan is Parsha's Truma. And by the way, you know, and then everything shifts. We go from storytelling, creation of the world, Jews enslaved in Egypt, the ten plagues, getting the Torah at Mount Sinai, and then all of a sudden the narrative shifts and now we're talking about you need this piece, which is going to be this many amas by that many amas, and you need that, and you need five of these, and you need 50 of those, and all the exact measurements. And it's like all of a sudden the Torah becomes architectural digest, right? <laughs> it's like it, it shifts. It becomes like a different, like, what, what happened? Well, I was like digging the stories, like, what just happened? And then, by the way, it stays that way in this mode throughout Sefer Vayikra, right? The book of Leviticus. That's all about, it's all about um, bringing offerings. But again, it's exactly... And I'll just tell you something, just something super cool about Sefer Vayikra, okay? Just while we're on the subject. Which is, and I heard this from a Rav, I, I forgot who, I'm sorry. But um, he said, you know, a lot of people are just, and this goes with the measurements of building the, the Mishkan as well, but, but especially when we get to the Karbonos, when we're talking about you take this organ and that organ and this fat and you separate this from that and you bring this much wine and it's a combination and you put it on the altar and everything like this. A lot of people just bug out. They're like, I can't, I can't even read this. I can't, I can't, I don't, I can't focus on this. I, I, don't know, I don't even know what I'm reading, right? So, but take a moment, take five steps back now, take five steps back, let's get some perspective on it, and you'll realize how amazing and how great this is, okay? In ancient civilizations, in ancient religions, the, the, the priest, so to speak, of whatever cult or whatever ancient religion 
held all of the secrets. They didn't even tell you, like, what they were doing, you know? It's sort of like you came with whatever your issue was, and they did some sort of secretive kind of thing, and then that was it. That was, you know, whatever happened, happened. And the priestly class remained in power and even subjugated the masses, oppressed the masses by controlling the information. Do you understand? Now you can hear how radical it is what the Torah has done. God said, put all of the information and make it available to absolutely everybody. In other words, we're, we're publishing all the heavenly secret formulas in the book for every single person to read. Or like maybe they would call in today's tech world, open source. <laughs> all right? It's a big deal. A very radical change. A very radical change. Right? Because they weren't some sort of secretive cult. They were just transparent operatives of God's will. And just helping out helping out the nation, helping out the world. So, so once you appreciate that, then when you approach those passages, you can approach them in a different light, with more appreciation, like what was going on. Like, oh, these are, the, these are all the secrets. These are all the secrets that are just being published. Okay. So again, let's return back to this idea. What is going on? How could it be the first book of the Torah? It's all these amazing accounts of like creation and just like the building of humanity and then all of a sudden we've got this idea of this nation leaving another nation and again just take a moment to consider it's never happened before in history that an oppressed people especially the size of the Jewish nation leaves another nation let me tell you what has always happened historically the oppressed nation rises up and kills the people in power, and then they become the government, right? What do we have to leave for? Let them leave. We're, we're running the show now. This is the way it's always been done in history. So you, again, you have to appreciate the utter uniqueness of the story of the Jewish people, that an entire nation is leaving another nation. Does, never happened. Okay. It never will. And okay, Guaranteed. yeah. So it's very unusual, very very unusual. Okay, so so now now all of a sudden we're talking about building this sanctuary, and it becomes very technical. The, the The Torah gets very very technical. So again, why this shift? So now I want to tell you something that the Ramban says, and I want to sort of add on to the Ramban, but that's me. But I'll tell you what the Ramban says. The Ramban says something, in my opinion, magnificent, um, which is that don't think for a second that the narrative is changing. Don't, it's not like what we said. Like, yeah, yeah, it's true, the style of the passages are changing, that's true. But don't think that the narrative, the story that's being told is changing. Okay, well, let's go further. What what is he saying? What does he mean by that? Because the idea is we get out of slavery, we get the Torah, and now the whole idea is to turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. 
You understand? That's now our mission. Now that we have the Torah, we turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. That's the point. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing to this day. We're turning the whole world into a Mishkan. Now, what did I tell you? I told you that this was the plan from the start, right? That the perfection that the world is leading to was planted into the world from the start. Now I'm going to show it to you in, in another way. You ready for this? Amazing idea. Amazing idea. You know, the, the sages and the, the, the great people of, of, of Israel had these very, like, amazing, advanced thoughts about the creation of the universe from the very beginning, right? Because we have this divine information. But we didn't have the vocabulary to express it in quantum physics because this is, we're talking about 2,000, 3,000, whatever it is, years ago, right? So how are we going to say the most advanced concepts? So they say the most advanced concepts using very, very simple language. But you understand, there's no, in terms of the, the concepts, and so in terms of the theoretically, these ideas are as advanced as today's quantum physics. It's just don't be fooled by the simplicity of the vocabulary. We just didn't have the same vocabulary. You understand? Okay, so now with that in mind, listen to, you ready for the Big Bang Theory? Like as of like thousands of years ago? But listen to the language. Now you can delight in the language because you can see what they were trying to communicate, but they didn't have the words to communicate it. So they said that originally the entire universe was boiled down to one physical point the size of a mustard seed, (laughs) which was the language of that day for something very small, right? And what happened was God expanded that thing and he made the physical universe from that one thing, from that one point of matter. That's the Big Bang. But now it goes further. Because what did, I do? what did I say before? I said that our mission, what we're doing right now, is turning the entire world into a dwelling place for God. Turning the whole world into a mishkan, or a Beis HaMikdash, right? Because it was all leading to the Beis HaMikdash, the more permanent. Remember, the mishkan was the traveling temple. But then that was leading up to what God really wanted, which was the permanent temple. Okay? So that's, that's the ideal, is the Beis HaMikdash. Now, you ready for this? The rabbis go further. They say, they ask this question, which is an amazing question. They say, okay, that original point of something, of yesh, yesh is just what is, you know, just materiality, that original point of materiality. What was it? <laughs> right? like, amazing that they would even ask such a question, right? Like, they want to know, what was it? And then they have an answer. We have an answer. It was from the Evan Shashia, the, uh, the, the foundation stone of the Beis HaMikdash, of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. So now let's put all these thoughts together. Because what did we just say? We said that 
our mission is to turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God, into one big base amigdash, right? That's what we said, right? And we said that that was built into the creation from the very beginning. Now what are we saying? That the very initial point of creation was the foundation stone of the base amigdash, and that God expanded it out. Which means the entire world is what? The whole universe is what? One, base, one big base amigdash. And now it's just a question of revealing that. See, we're not trying to create God's oneness. God is already one. God is already here. What we're doing is we're revealing what is here. Right? Like that fogged mirror in the bathroom, right? It's, you, just, you just want to clear away the fog. What is it when you do a mitzvah? What is it when you express love? Right? Remember, love in Hebrew, ava, is gematria echad, one. Right? When you put love into the world in the proper way, you create oneness. Right? So what we're doing is, anytime you do a mitzvah, anytime, right? Mitzvah comes from, has the root of the word mitzvah is tzadivav, tzav, which means to tie, to connect. What does it mean when you're doing a mitzvah? You're tying heaven and earth together, right? Which is producing clarity, which is producing a recognition of God's oneness in the world. That's what we're doing. We're transacting oneness. We're, we're, we're clarifying the oneness that's there. We're harmonizing the energies of the world so that everyone can see what is actually there. We're not creating something. We're not trying to foist our belief on other people. It's God made the world already. God is already here. We just want people to see it. Okay. So, so, so Parshas Truma, Parshas Truma comes. Now, and that's now talking about taking the Torah that we received and turning the whole world into a dwelling place for God. All right, now listen. The Ramban, the Ramban continues. Nachmanides continues. He says, what was the Mishkan? What was the Mishkan? What was that traveling tabernacle? Okay. It was an ongoing recreation of the Mount Sinai experience. Okay? Because think about it for a moment. Think about it for a moment. It should be very, this very direct and clear. What happened at Mount Sinai? We got the Torah, the Luchos. Those are the tablets. That's how we say tablets, the Luchos. And then what was the centerpiece of the Mishkan? Well, we know that the centerpiece was, well, the, the, the most special place in the Mishkan, as well as the Beis HaMikdash, was the Holy of Holies, the Kadosh Kedoshim. But what was in the? Why was the Holy of Holies so holy? Because it had the Ark. But why was the Ark so special? Because the tablets, the Luchos, were in the Ark. In other words, the whole thing was for the Ark. First and foremost. It served other functions as well. But first and foremost, that's what it was. So now you see a direct connection between Mount Sinai, where we get the Torah, and the Mishkan, where we house the Torah. And just like there were miracles in Mount Sinai, there were miracles in the Mishkan as well, and in the base of Mikdash. Okay? So basically, the idea is, now let's go back to the narrative. Now you can hear the narrative again. It's so beautiful. 
which is that God creates the world. We go down into Egypt. We're slaves in Egypt. God makes miracles. He reminds the entire world who's forgotten about him that there's only one power in the world. That's what all the plagues were doing. They were systematically, 10 plagues, 10 sphero. They were 10 systematically breaking all the klipos, all the husks, all the illusions, all the delusions, right? And just exposing the oneness of God, right? And then the Jews go out of Egypt. God takes the Jews out of Egypt. And now we get the, it says that the world was created with 10 sayings. God gives us the 10 commandments. Now all of a sudden he puts back, reminds the entire world, makes it super clear that all that exists is God. That's the only thing that exists in the entire world is God. And now God says, take this moment, take this moment and travel with it everywhere. That's the idea that the Mishkan was a traveling Mount Sinai experience. You got it? Now that you've got the Mount Sinai experience, take it with you wherever you go. Never leave it. Okay. Now, now I want to tell you something. Something that came to me during the davening yesterday that blew my mind. Okay? So, if you're listening to this, you have to kind of visualize it. I'm going to I'm going to just give you a visual, okay? Very simple visual. The ark which held the Torah, right? The, the tablets. The ark that held the tablets. It was a rectangle in the middle, okay? And there were two long poles that extended beyond the rectangle on either side, above and below. So two long poles went into this, held up this central box, this. And then there were four rings, two on the top of the box on either side, two on the bottom of the box on either side, that the poles went through so that when you lifted up the poles, they would lift up the box, right? That's, that's how you did it. So very simple. Two long poles, a smaller rectangular box in the middle, and then on each corner of the box, a ring where you put the poles through. You ready for this? So, just so you can, just so that you can see, I'm raising my arms above my head. Look how I'm shaped. Look how every single person is shaped. You're shaped exactly like the Ark of the Covenant. You've got your torso, which is the rectangle in the middle and your arms extend down to your legs and your arms extend down to your legs and what are those four rings on either side of the box those are your rotary cuffs where your arms go through and where your legs go through so you're literally you're literally shaped like every single one of us is shaped like the ark that holds the torah and what's inside of us the Torah. And God says, wherever you go, take it with you. <laughs> okay, now let's get back to the question that we started with. Yeah. Let's get back to the uh, let's get back to the um, the initial question. 
let's get back to the initial question, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. So, if you remember, I started with this question, which is, in the beginning of the Parsha, Hashem says, okay, bring gold, bring silver, bring copper, bring this color uh, material, and that color material, and that color material, and we're going to make a mishkan, we're going to make a tabernacle. So, bless you. So, my question is, why, why didn't the Torah say it the other way? Why didn't the Torah say, God says, okay, we're going, to make a tab- we're going to make a tabernacle, right? Bring me gold, bring me silver, bring me the materials, and we're going to make it. That's my question. So, which would have made more sense, because God's telling us, okay, right? This is what I want, here's how we're going to do it. Seems very logical. So I want, to, I want to give the following answer, which is that if God had started that way, the way I'm suggesting, that God had said, okay, I want to make a, ta- I want to make a, a tabernacle, we would have said, now remember, we were just at Mount Sinai. God says, I want to make a dwelling place for me in this world. I think our reaction would, would be, what? <laughs> Are you... A dwelling place for you, God, in this world? It's impossible. It's impossible. It can't be done. I, certainly I can't do it. No. I, I, wah. But listen to the how phenomenal it is, how great God is. God says, you know what? He says it differently. He says it like this. Okay, bring some gold, bring some silver, bring this color fabric and that color fabric and this color fabric. And we're like, okay, we can do that. We're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. And then God says, yeah, because I want to make a dwelling place for myself in this world. And we're like, whoa. <laughs> See, God says, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. The one who made the Torah is the one who made all of us. God didn't. You know, there's a whole religion that exists that says that, you know why this, one of the reasons why this religion exists? Because they said, the Torah is too hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what we say? We say, no, the one who made the world, the one who made us is the one who made the Torah. God knows exactly what we're able to do. Of course God knows what we can do. So, so, the thing is, we need to know what we can do. <laughs> if the Torah commands us to do something, of course we can do it. Because the one who made us made the Torah. So Hashem is saying to us, you can do it. You can do it. And we can do it. We can turn the world into a dwelling place for God. And we will, because this was part of the creation from the very first moment of creation. It's already done. The war is already won. Now we just have to win it. 